And thank you again. I may mention in the adult Sunday school class, but thank you in words, uh, at least my words, in my words, I don't have the ability to express and tell you how much you mean to us because of what you have done and the refuge that you have been for my wife and I. And we are very, very thankful and grateful for each and every one of you, the friendships that we have made and uh, the, the presence of God that we have felt not only in this service today, but uh, in the past few months of time. And we're grateful, thankful, excited to be back. Amen. Excited to be back in the house of God. And I know that the presence of the Lord, the Spirit of God, is already touched today, and I believe that He is going to continue that. Uh, we're thankful to be with Brother and Sister Grant. We love and appreciate our friends so very much. They are folks that are easy to love. Amen. And uh, they, they treat you with such kindness and respect. And, of course, uh, we have so many things in common with this family. And as much as we grew up in the same uh, city and in the same church with the same pastor and uh, Brother Grant, I have been a victim of the eyebrow many, many times. Amen. And if you... Uh, New Sister Mary Craft, uh, Sister Nancy, you you would understand that as well. She had a way of looking at you and raising that that uh, left eyebrow, and you knew that something was about to happen. Amen. I remember would have been in the late seventies and the early eighties when young men, uh, the style was perhaps to wear your hair just a little bit longer. Uh, than the church and the preacher and the pastor like for you too. And uh, I, I remember uh, one must have been a Sunday evening and the, the church set up there was very similar to here with the piano and, and the rail around and, and the young people uh, kind of seemed to gather uh, on this side of the, the sanctuary prayer service, altar service. And I had, uh, for some reason, I can't imagine why, at that point of time in my life that I managed to find myself in the altar. That's where I needed to be. Uh, but uh, I went and was there, and service was coming to a close, and altar service was was winding down, and I was standing on this side leaning against the wall, had been praying uh, thankfully, and I turned around and I looked up, and Sister Kraft was standing uh, up about where the rail is there on the other side of the piano, and she had zoned in on me. And I, when I opened my eyes and looked up, she was standing there, and that eyebrow was up, and she went. And I knew that meant come here right now. And so I took a few steps forward, and she said, The Lord spoke to me and told me to tell you something. And I came to full attention. And she said, Get a haircut. And I did soon after that. Amen. But we knew that she loved us and she cared about us and she prayed for you. And it was not unusual to get a call from her on Sunday morning saying, get up and get out of bed and get to church. And we didn't appreciate it much at the time, but I do now. I do now. And I, I know that she loved us and cares about us. And uh, 
was was had our best interest at heart, wanted us to make it to heaven. Now, Brother Grant, I've been blessed beyond measure. I have honestly that I can remember. I know you're standing. I don't think I've ever been a victim of the vein. I don't think I've ever experienced. I know some people that have, and they they've mentioned it, and it it makes a lasting impression. Uh, it uh, thankfully uh, love my pastor, and and pray for him, and uh, we, we we grieve to see him in his latter years, but we're all going to go that way one day, and I hope I can go with the dignity and and, and the the honor that he has gone with. Amen. If you have your Bibles today. You can turn with us to chapter 17 of the book of 1 Samuel. Chapter 17, I don't know, I I failed to, I'm sorry gentlemen, give it to the media men before service. 1 Samuel chapter 17, read a few few verses of scripture from there. It is a uh, most likely a very familiar passage. I wish uh, for just a few moments today that that I could go back in your past and just erase... uh, this from your memory because if you've grown up around church or you've been in church for any length of time, you have heard the story of David and Goliath many, many, many times. And it has been taught and it has been preached and it has been expounded upon and it has been used by way of example uh, many, many times. And it is a tremendous story in the Bible. I wish... I could erase it from your memory for just a moment so that it would be today something that is fresh and new. Now, I don't have the ability to make you forget, and you don't have the ability to forget. So I'm going to have to ask you today, if you would, make the effort to, when Brother Moody begins here, don't say, oh, in your mind, I've heard it all before. Uh, Listen, and you have heard it before. And there's nothing new under the sun. But I, I felt in my spirit as I began to pray and seek the Lord for this service today that this was the direction that God wanted us to go, and I tried to move away from it, and I kept coming back. So here we are, and I trust that it's for somebody in this place today or for this assembly as a whole. Chapter 17 of First Samuel, verse number 4, we will read a verse there, and then we will skip down to verse number 8 and read a few verses and uh, if they can put that up, that would be good. Verse number 4, chapter 17, 1 Samuel. And there went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines. Philistines for all you uh, uh, sophisticated people. The Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. There's a little footnote in my Bible that says nine feet and nine inches. If you study on this very very much, you will see that there uh, is a little bit of controversy uh, as to his exact height. It doesn't really matter. He was taller and bigger uh, than most any man alive at that time, especially anybody in the armies uh, or or the gathering of Israel. The next few verses of Scripture go on to describe uh, his armor and his weapons. Verse number 8, And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and you servants of Saul? 
Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the army, the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together with the help of the Lord, with the help of the Holy Ghost. For just a few minutes today, let me preach to you. Let me address you from this thought. Giants are calling. Giants are calling. Lord, would you help us again? Thank you for your presence, your spirit that's been manifest in this service already today. Thank you for the touch of the Holy Ghost. Thank you for the response of your people. Lord, I pray that in the next few moments of time that you would touch my mind and anoint my spirit and the ears of every hearer in this place today. Give us strength and encouragement and direction. God, help us. Lord, give us power over the enemy. Let us choose to exercise what you have given us. We ask it and we We pray it in the name of the Lord one more time. Would you put your hands together in a hand clap of praise to the Lord before you're seated. We exalt you again in this place, almighty God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. We praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. You can be seated in the name of the Lord. I hope it's not too... Late in the year, I hope it's still early enough in the month of January for me to address the issue of a brand new year. It is the time of the year, maybe a little bit uh, late. Most of you may have already done it, but it is the the time of the year where we see prevalent in in the media and even in our own lives, we see uh, people making uh, in in the media. Predictions concerning uh, the new year. Predictions concerning 2019. If it's okay for just a few moments, I would like to give you some of my predictions concerning uh, the new year. Now, I haven't. I don't have them written down. I've just kind of memorized them because it's generally. I'm I'm 53 years old, and it, as long as I can remember, it's the same predictions that I have virtually every year. And uh, let, me, let me give you those predictions just uh, just quickly here. I predict that in 2019, Brother Brokaw, somebody's going to be mad. Somebody's going to be angry. There's going to be fighting in the Middle East. I feel pretty confident that's going to be the case. Amen. You probably agree with me on that. I, I feel confident in 2019 that the stock market, all of you investors, all of you money people, I feel confident that the stock market is going to go up and down and up and down. That's my prediction. I feel good about it. Amen. I feel confident in 2019 that the politicians, uh, I have to be careful here now, I pastored, uh, people that were in politics, and if if you're a politician, you you hold public office here. Let me let me give you the small print right here. The disclaimer: I'm not talking about you, okay? But I feel confident that in 2019, politicians are going to lie to us. Amen. I feel confident about. It. Just get ready for it. 
I feel good that it's going to happen. Amen. Somewhere out of Washington, D.C., there are going to come some things that aren't true. You can look at it, you can take it, and just, just take it with a grain of salt. Amen. I, I feel confident that that's going to be the case. Isn't that the way that it always is, life and culture and our society and government has just kind of kind of wore that groove in our spirit and our minds. When things like that happen, we, we hear about another war, another uh, something in the Middle East, and it's just, well, that's, you know, it doesn't surprise us. It does, that's just the way that it is. Those things we, we kind of expect almost. We can predict them with confidence. But I do have a few more predictions this year that I that I want to give to you. And I, I hope it encourage you, encourages you just a little bit more than those last few. I, I feel confident, I feel secure in what I'm about to say. That in 2019, the Bible will still have all of the answers. I feel confident that when you have trouble and problems in 2019, you can turn to this black back book and study the pages of its word and you're going to find something that will help you. I predict, amen, I predict that in 2019 that prayer will still be the most powerful thing on the face of the earth. Saint of the living God, let me tell you, find yourself a regular place to pray. Fill the prayer room with prayers. Prayer is a powerful thing. I predict that in 2019, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God is still going to move. That when God's people gather themselves together in His name and begin to worship and praise and give God the glory that His Spirit is still going to sweep into the place. I predict that in 2019, there will be a move of God. You know why? Because He said in the last days, I'm going to pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. That's a given All we've got to do is get under the outpouring and when we come to God in faith, believe we position ourselves to be in a move of God. I predict that in 2019, God still going to honor the praises of His people. I predict in 2019 that there's still going to be some God-anointed preaching and teaching that comes across the pulpit that will bless and touch and affect our hearts. Amen. 2019, there's going to be some praise singing and some worship to God. In 2019, God's going to pour out blessings upon His people and His church. You believe that? Say amen. I predict that in 2019, Brother Buddy, there's still going to be room at the foot of the cross of Calvary for one more sinner. I believe it with everything that's inside of me that God's still going to stand with arms stretched open wide, beckoning and calling the backslider home and the sinner to repentance. There's still room at the foot of Calvary's cross. I predict in 2019, in spite of your faults and failures and shortcomings, that Jesus is still going to love you and care about you and reach for you and offer you all of the mercy and the grace that you need He's still going to say, my grace is sufficient for you. Amen. 2019, he's still going to save the lost. Amen. It's that time of year when we make our New Year's resolutions. 
we resolve to do or to be, to lose weight or to gain weight, to exercise and to get healthy and to be a better, you fill in the blank, husband, father, parent, Christian, we, we resolve. Can I, can I just give you one resolution that will help you this year? It, it kind of covers all of the bases. If you don't know the Scripture, memorize it. It's John 3 and 3, and a portion of that, is, it's real simple, it's real short, but if you'll put it in practice in your life, I promise you at the end of 2019, December the 31st, 2019, if this has happened in your life, you'll be better off than you are today. John the Baptist cried and said, He must increase and I must decrease. If we'll make that a resolution in our life that, God, you're going to increase. God, we're going to see more of you and less of me. God, you're going to get greater, and I'm going to get smaller. Your will is going to become more important, and my will is going to become less. I promise you at the end of the year, you'll be better off than you are today. Can you say amen? Amen. I read to you a passage of Scripture from chapter 17 of the book of 1 Samuel. Samuel is is writing. He is uh, uh, recording the history as the Spirit of God moves. And I want to take just a moment here to kind of go through verse by verse of some of the Scriptures. I'm not going to read all of 1 Samuel 7, uh, chapter 17. It's 58 uh, verses long, I believe. If I spent 60 seconds on each verse, we'd be here much longer probably than your uh, uh, your attention span. And so I won't do that, but I want to cover a few verses of Scripture as we read to uh, the conclusion of what I feel like God wants me to tell somebody today. Verse number 1 says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah and pitched between Shoko and Azekah and Ephes Damim. Now, we see here, first of all, that the Philistines, they gathered their armies together and understand that the Bible uses the word. The translated word is armies. It is plural, as it were, in the kingdom of the Philistines. Every city had a king, and every city had an army, and as they controlled many cities, they gathered the armies together from the many different cities, and they came together as one against Israel. The Bible tells us, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but just to remind you and give you something to think about and to guard against, the Bible says that the Philistines encamped in Judah. Isn't it amazing that generally the first thing that the enemy attacks is our praise? Oh, if he understands that if he can stop your praise, that if he can get you distracted from praise, that if he can camp out in your praise by some means and methods, he's got a foothold into the door of your relationship with God. The enemy is almost always going to come to you in a way that affects your mind or your spirit or your heart or your attitude and gets into your being in such a way that when you come to the house of God, and you plop your carcass down on the pew on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening and the praise singers gather on the platform and begin to sing the songs of Zion and lift up the name that is above every name that something jumps on your shoulder and begins to whisper in your ear. You know you're not worthy. 
You know what you did. You know what you said. You know what you thought. You know what you've been involved in. And your praise begins to wither. Your praise begins to wither. And you sit there with your hands at your side or you you stand there and you're looking at the ceiling while everybody else is enjoying the presence of God and lifting up the name and creating an atmosphere where babies can be born and people can be touched and souls can be changed and lives can be delivered. The enemy has got you bound because he's camped out in Judah. But what we have to remember uh, is that we come to the house of God and we shake off all of that stuff uh, that we bring through the door and we park ourselves in a pew and we remember uh, this is not about me. Uh, This is about Him. Uh, This is not about what I've done. This is about what He's done. Uh, This is not about uh, my life. Uh, This is about His death. And we lift our hands and we lift our voices uh, and we lift our praise to the Almighty and we sing and we worship and we give glory to God and we send the enemy skittering out the door. Amen. Don't let the enemy camp out in Judah. Don't let the enemy camp out in your praise. And it doesn't matter if it's in church. It doesn't matter if it's at home. It doesn't matter if it's on the job site. When you feel like praising Him and your mind gets a break and you remember the goodness of God, take a moment and praise. Don't let the enemy slip in, but say, Lord, you're great. You're good. You're mighty, and I praise you. I acknowledge your great goodness. Amen. The enemy comes to Israel and he camps out in praise. You want to take the temperature of a church, of an assembly, walk into a meeting and measure their praise. I'm not saying they're bad, they're backslid, they've gone off on doctrine, but you can tell by a measure of their praise. Oh, it was beautiful a few moments ago when they began to sing what a beautiful name it is. And the saints of God of Peace Tabernacle began to stand and step out into the aisle and lift their hands and voices and sing the praises of God. It's a healthy church. It's a vibrant church. It's a church that's strong and mighty. It's a people that know the value of praise. Don't let the enemy camp out in praise. Watch here again. Samuel is writing, the Philistines gathered together their armies. Everybody remember that word, armies. Verse number 2. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. That simply means they lined up and got ready for battle. Watch, watch the wording here. Sister Grant, Samuel, the prophet, the man of God, he says, the armies of the Philistines, gathered together in Judah. They're going to put a whooping on Israel. And the men of Israel gathered together. Now that sounds like a lopsided battle from the beginning. The armies, the warriors, the men of, of, of war of the Philistines, the armies of the Philistines against the men of Israel. I looked up. The Hebrew for that word men, it means regular men, husbands, fathers, sons. No military connotations. The men of Israel are gathered together against the military might of the Philistines. 
That sounds to me like an NFL team playing a junior high team. It's going to be a massacre. It's lopsided. It doesn't look right. And if, if you're viewing it from the position of the Israelite side of the hill, and we see from the context of the story, that they, they had made up in their mind, hey, Philistines, this is as far as you're going to come. We're going to block you right here. But we're not in any hurry to get in a fight because they stood on their side of the valley and let the Philistines stand on their side. The men of Israel against the armies of the Philistines. Now, David got it right a few verses later when he declared the people of God to be the armies of God. They weren't the armies of Israel. They were the armies of God. When you put God in the equation, when you put God in the mix, He changes the common and the everyday and the ordinary into something that is special and powerful and mighty. When you invite the presence of God, when you invite divine intervention into your your situation and your circumstances, something changes in the realm of the supernatural and what was common and ordinary all of a sudden becomes strong and mighty. Amen. They're standing there, and the Bible goes on to describe this champion, this Goliath, this man that we consider to be a giant. He comes out, and the Bible tells us, describes in in great detail his armor and his weaponry. You want to study it yourself, you'll read it from from what we can gather in in the transposing of the, 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 the weight measures of that day and this day. In all probability... Goliath carried into battle between armor and weaponry over 200 pounds. He said, well, I can carry 200 pounds on my back, but can you fight with it? I mean, imagine going into battle carrying me on your back and still being agile enough to swing a sword and throw a spear and operate a shield. So we understand that this guy was large. He was strong. He was big. He was a champion, the Bible says. Saul goes on later to say that he has been a man of war since his youth. Suffice it to say, Goliath is intimidating in stature. He doesn't have to say a word. You just look at him and go, hang on a minute. You, you, you just see him walking across the battlefield and you say, I think I'm going to go this way. Goliath is large and intimidating and he walks, uh, I can see in my mind's eye as he, he walks to a point on the side of that valley and he begins to cry out to Israel, hey, instead of everybody fighting together and causing a whole lot of chaos and, 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 and confusion. And, and, and see, I told you, you'd heard the story before and you, you, you just got a tendency to stay with me just a minute. He cries out to the Israelites and says, you just pick a man. It didn't matter. Any, you just pick a man and you send him over and we'll fight. We'll, we'll, we'll thumb wrestle. No, that wasn't what they were going to do. They were going to fight to the death. And if I kill him, you just, you're going to serve us. And if he kills me, then we'll serve you. Amen. Preach it. We have distractions. Amen. (laughs) 
it couldn't have happened to anybody any better. Uh, amen. Sister Grant will remember this day for eternity. But it's all right. Somebody say Goliath. Somebody say Goliath. Somebody say he's a giant. And the giant began calling out to Israel, you just come fight me. Focus your attention on me. Put your attention right. Forget about everybody else, Israel. You just look at me. And if you've got the ability to take care of me, everything else will work out okay. Everything else will be all right. And he called and he cried out to Israel. The Bible says that he did it for 40 days. 40 in the Bible is the number of completion. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness. He completed his test and his training. Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness fasting, being tempted of the enemy. He completed it. He came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. He completed his time. It is a time of completion, what the Bible is saying. And it may have been 40 days. It may not. But the writers in that day, simply uh, by using the number 40, implied to us that it is a time of completion after 40 days. But you can, you can imagine 40 days of that. A month and ten days. Every day, Israel is sitting there in their camp. They wake up in the morning. They get a cup of coffee. They slide up to the edge of their seat and they say, hang on, wait on it, wait on it. Here it comes. All right, here comes Goliath. And he walks to the side of the mountain and calls out, come on, I'm waiting on somebody. Somebody just come and fight. We can end this battle today. We can end this standoff today. Here I am. And he stands there in his intimidating voice. Can you imagine what kind of voice he had? If he's nearly 10 feet tall. Now, the roar that it must have been. Here is a man that is a, a warrior. The intimidating size and the, and some people just have that kind of voice. Brother Grant, Pete Hodge has just got that kind of voice. Can can I mean he's the kind of guy that 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 you want if you're the leader of the army. You want him to be the drill sergeant. He just got that voice. When he deepens his voice and 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 makes his voice stern, it makes you want to stand to attention. And do whatever he says do. Here is Goliath with that intimidating voice and that intimidating size. And can I tell you probably that intimidating reputation. Somebody said, how, how did they know how big he was? Well, there's two options, isn't it? When David killed him and they chased the Philistines back to Gath, somebody, somebody come back and said, let's score him. You know, guys, when you, you kill that big one, first thing you do is break out the tape measure. How wide and how. Somebody came back and said, let's score him. Let's, let's, let's see how big he is. And they measured him. But probably he just had that reputation. The Philistines in fighting their battles, they knew the value of intimidation, so they said, somebody send out the flyer. Somebody send out the email. Somebody go ahead and tweet it. Our champion is nine foot nine inches tall. He carries over 200 pounds of weaponry. He's got a shield bearer that goes before him. He can whip anybody in the universe. 
a reputation. And there he is screaming out, calling day after day to the, to the Israelites. And they're still sitting on their side of the valley. And nobody's moved and nobody's gotten the courage. It's so intimidating that it must have affected their mind. Brother John, I would like to think that if I would have been an Israelite, I'd have elbowed my buddy and said, He's pretty big and pretty intimidating. But I just believe that if 20 of us go jumping, we can take him. You sneak up on him from the left. I'll sneak up on him from the right. We'll get some in front of him. We'll work this dude over. But apparently nobody thought about that. They were so intimidated by what he appeared to be that all they could do was accept his word. The only way you're going to win this battle is send out a man. No, it's not. We'll send out a bunch of men, and we'll take you down. But they didn't do that. Forty days he cries out to them. You know the story. Jesse sends David. David comes to the battlefield. David looks around and says, what's going on? Well, this, this, uh, this giant. What's he saying? What's he doing? Well, he said somebody comes and fights him and wins. And not only that, Saul said if somebody fights him and wins, he's going to bless him good. David says, me, me, volunteer, I'll go fight him. Somebody snickers. <laughs> Seriously. All right, we'll take you to Saul. All right, King Saul, here's we got a volunteer. It says after 40 days you go out and fight the giant. Saul was already acquainted with David. In the previous chapter, David had played his harp for Saul. He was the musician. I don't know what Saul thought. The Bible doesn't say. But perhaps Saul looked at him and said, Buddy, you better stick to playing and singing. You're just a lad. You're kind of puny. I'm, I'm not too sure about this. I would be a murderer if I sent you into battle to fight this guy. Somehow David prevails and, and, and Saul says, Okay, take my armor. David puts it on. It's too big. It doesn't fit. He said, I hadn't proved it. I've always wondered about that. Why David even tried it on? I'd been David, I'd looked at Saul and said, you're not confident in your own armor or you'd put it on and go fight him. Why do you think I want to wear it? You, you, you don't even have any confidence that it's going to work for you. Why do you want to give it to me? And so he took off Saul's armor and the Bible says that David took his staff and his sling and I know you know the story. Stay with me though, just another few minutes. And he went down to the brook and he began to gather stones. He began to pick up rocks and he gathered five smooth stones. Here we go now, watch. I've heard it preached from can to can what five smooth stones represent. The numerology of five. Five smooth stones. There are five pillars in the tabernacle that lead into the holy place. Goliath had four brothers. 
God is going to need five stones. I don't know. The Bible doesn't elaborate. So I guess everybody gets a fair guess. Brother Grant, I believe that he picked up five smooth stones because his bag wouldn't hold six. Brother Ken, when you go sit on the deer stand, how many bullets do you take? As many as it'll hold. And then some in your pocket and some in your belt. And Brother Grant, I've shot a lot of deer, and most of them only one time. But when I go to the woods, I still don't just carry one bullet. I, I, I love to bow hunt. I love it. I, it it's, it's eating me up. But my quiver will hold five arrows. And when I go, it's full. David went to fight Goliath. Now, we know the end of the story. We know how it all ends, and he could have just picked up one, but David didn't know that. David knew he had confidence in God. He had faith in God, but he didn't know how many rocks it was going to take. And he didn't know if God was going to use rock number one, or rock number two, or rock number three, or rock number five. He just knew, God, you're going to take care of it. And so he loaded uh, his shepherd's script with ammunition. Can, can I pause here just a moment to, to teach you something, church? When we come to the house of God, there is always a giant to slay. Every service, the enemy is going to show up and try to disrupt and try to hinder. There are going to be spirits that walk in and try to, to change things and create chaos. It is our duty and our responsibility as an assembly and as a people and as a house full of, of the children of God to create an environment and an atmosphere where God can move and work. Can I call it slaying the giant? It is our responsibility to make sure that the giant falls, that there is an atmosphere that is created where somebody feels the freedom and the opportunity to seek God and to worship God and perhaps be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. It is our responsibility to make sure that the giant comes tumbling down. And so we come to the house of God, the battlefield, and we go down to the brook and we begin to gather stones. And because we don't know what God is going to use in that service, a few years ago they invited me to preach a sectional meeting in Arkansas. I went and and I prayed and, and felt like God gave me a message for this section and the ministers that was there. And, and I preached, and God bless. And man, I'm telling you, the altars were full. God touched and moved, and there were people touched and blessed. I mean, there I don't think there was a dry eye in the house, and people were laying in the aisles. I mean, it was just a, a move of God. I thought, man, thank you, Jesus. You gave me a good one. That was on a Friday night. I preached in my pulpit on Sunday, and I thought, well, if it was good enough for a Friday night, it ought to be good enough for Sunday morning. And I stood in my pulpit, and I read the same passage of Scripture, and I preached from the same notes, and it came over the front of the pulpit and landed right there. One watermelon after another. 
boom, boom, boom. And those people sat there and looked at me. And God said, you need to get something fresh. I don't always use the same stone. And we come to the house of God and we gather our stones. We go to the prayer room and we pray because we don't know if it's going to be something in the prayer room that God picks up on that he's going to use to slay the giant in the sanctuary. The praise singers and the musicians get up and they sing and they lead us in praise and worship because we don't know if that's going to be the stone that God uses to slay the giant. And the preacher preaches and we have an altar call because we don't know. We just got to make sure that we gather everything that we can gather to present to God and give to him and say God I don't know I believe that you're going to slay the giant I don't know which one you're going to use but here it all is here's my praise here's my worship here's my prayer here's our preaching Lord here's our music we give it all to you and so David gathers his stones and he goes he faces Goliath and Goliath is angry seems to be insulted or offended, and I don't know why that made any difference. He came out there to kill him. But he, he, he says, hey, what do you think I am? What kind of dog do you think I am? You, you, you see all of this armor. You see all of this weaponry. My shield, my, 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 my spear weighs more than you do, David. You see all of this, and you come to me with a shepherd's staff and a sling and some rocks. Ha, ha, ha. I'm not just going to kill you before I do that. I'm going to pick you up by the hair of your head. I'm going to pull your fingers off one at a time and then your arms and your legs and feed them to the birds. David said, okay. He said, let me tell you what's really fixing to happen. He said, you've come and you defied the armies of the living God. And you're going to see in the armies of the Philistines and the armies of... And this is Moody version, okay? This, this is not in your Bible. You're going to see today what God's going to do. And in verse number 46, make sure I'm telling you the right verse. If you got your Bible, look at it. This is the most important verse in the narrative. In verse number 46, David says, after he has told the Philistine, after the Philistine has told him that he's going to feed him to the beast of the field and the fowls of the air, David says in verse 45, David said, David to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee. What a beautiful name it is. I come to you in the name of the Lord. I come to you in the name of the Lord. Giants in my life, I come to you in the name of the Lord. Goliath, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. Verse 46, watch. This day will the Lord deliver you into my hand. That's where we miss it most of the time. Because God didn't kill Goliath. God put him in David's hand. Oh, you didn't get it. 
God didn't send a bolt of lightning or a flame of fire from the heavens and consume him like he did Elijah's altar. He could have. But David said, God's going to deliver you into my hand. I believe that David had the mind of God and the understanding of God and the Spirit of God. David was a man after God's own heart. David understood and knew because he had faced a lion and faced a bear and God didn't kill them either, but he put them in his hands and he rent them asunder and he slew them and took back the lamb out of their mouth. Today, Goliath, God's going to deliver you into my hands. And the Bible says that he took his sling. You know the story. He flung the stone and it sunk into the giant's forehead forehead and he fell I'm quirky I, I know that I've always wondered maybe somebody here can explain it to me but then every situation that the Bible says that Goliath was there and his shield bearer was in front of him but when David flung the stone you don't hear any more mention of the shield bearer what happened to that cat where did he go where did he disappear to? I think I've got an idea that when David flung the stone and he turned around and saw Goliath laying on the ground, he said, uh-oh, time to evacuate the premises. And he left. And David went up and took the sword of Goliath, his own sword, and cut off his head. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand. Could it be, church of 2019, that the Spirit of the Lord of the Lord is saying to us at the beginning of a brand new year, a brand new giant, maybe the same old problems, maybe the same old situations, maybe the same old circumstances, the same battles, the same storms. Uh-huh. When we went from December the 31st to January the 1st, my bank account didn't change one bit. I've still got the same giants to fight. Relationships and issues and, and struggles and situations, giants in my world. Giants in my, how are we going to make it? How are my children going to be saved? How are we going to make it through this storm and this situation? How am I going to make it through this illness, this circumstance in life? The giants stand there calling out to us. They're calling to us, hey, we're still here. I'm still on the side. of. I know it's been 40 days, but I'm still here. I'm, I'm, I'm still calling out to you. Can you see me? In 2019, you still got a financial battle. In 2019, you still got health issues. In 2019, the giant and his reputation, you know what he did to you in 2018. He's still standing there. <laughs> You're too afraid. You're too intimidated. How in the world are you going to conquer me when you won't take even one foot off of, of your place of security? Here I am, hey. And he reminds you frequently. He stands with his large size and his large reputation and his, his great armor. Hadn't been able to whip him yet. And he's calling out to you. But can I tell you, 
that there is a David inside of every spirit-filled, blood-bought, born-again child of God in this place. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what your battles are like. It doesn't make any difference to me how far in the hole you are. It doesn't make any difference to me how much month is left over at the end of the money. I'm here to tell you there is a David on the inside of you. I don't care how lost your children are, how far they are away from God. It doesn't make any difference what kind of stranglehold it looks like the devil has on him. There is a David on the inside of you. There is a fighter on the inside of you. And I've come to tell somebody on a Sunday in January of 2019 that this year God will deliver the giant into your hands. Square your shoulder. Pick out your stones and get ready to walk to the other side of the valley it's going to happen it's going to happen today he will deliver you into my hands stand with me if you will all over the sanctuary and the congregation maybe a strange altar call today you're taking medicine it's 20 minutes till 1 But I want to open these altars up this afternoon and invite somebody to come to this altar and get you, Israel, to let David out. There is a David on the inside of you that's longing to get out. There is a man of faith, a woman of faith on the inside of you that's longing to get out, that's looking and say, I know the giant is big and I don't have the ability to defeat him on my own, but if I'll gather the stones and turn it over to the Lord, God will deliver it into my hands. That's it. Come on, it's okay. At the end of 2019, should the Lord tarry, I'm going to stand in this building and I'm going to lift my eyes heavenward and say, I'm a victor. I won. God did it. I have a testimony. My kids are here with me. My health is good. My finances are much further along than they were. Oh, somebody come and just let David out. There's a fighter. There's a David inside of you. Giants are calling. Yes, they are. But they're calling out and they're just waiting to be conquered. They're waiting to be taken down. They're waiting to be destroyed. Giants are calling. Yes, they are. But friend of mine, I'm here to tell you, you've got the secret on the inside of you. You know that the Word of God tells you that it's going to be delivered into my hands. At the end of the day, I'm going to be the winner. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Oh, somebody's getting a hold of it by faith. Somebody's wrapping their faith around it. I'm going to let David out. Go ahead, John, call out to me. But God's going to deliver you into my hands. That's it. Wrap your faith around it. That's it. 
It's going to happen in Jesus' name. No fear, no doubt. I'm the victor. Giant, you're the victor. Victorious. I am victorious. I am victorious. God's going to show you today how He delivers.
Powerful name.